0: How's everyone going? Thanks. Everyone else is not good. The um, while we yeah. Whenever someone asks that in church, everyone's sort of quiet and coy. If um we watched our favourite rugby team win, we'd go mental. I want to see that kind of laugh back into the church. Who who was here last week and enjoyed that that uh, testimony by uh, that that young lady or Lou Giglio shared it. What a fa- like I I. Like, I'm still affected by that. Um, I'm affected by the simplicity of it, actually, because we've complicated, we've complicated this thing of being a disciple. And uh, just the. my desire, really, is to, is to... Obviously, God is mysterious. We've got to accept that. There's, there's mysteries to God that we will never know. Um, and it's okay. It's okay to live with, with mystery. Um, and in, in our Roman Greco... Way of thinking, which is the Western world. We we think very clinically, we think very critically uh, in a negative way, um, and we think very linear. We struggle when we when we don't have absolute answers. And so, my understanding is most of denominational divide is because one denomination says that this truth is absolute, and another denomination says that this truth is absolute. And so, and because they Basing those things on an absolute answer, you actually have division. Where there's there's multi... God God is speaks of the manifold wisdom of God, which is the multifaceted wisdom of God. God is not even... He's not three-dimensional. He's not four-dimensional. He's multidimensional. To every truth, there's just so many layers to it. So I think a lot of our problems would be solved if we allowed the acceptance of the multiple... Revelations that God gives to different bodies, Amen. No, feels a bit dead here today. I'm telling you, feels a little bit dead. It's hard to preach when 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 the people are not communicating with us. Okay, no, no you can stay there. I like people in the front row. Um, Communicate. If you're feeling, if you're getting revelation, say something about it. If you're not getting revelation, sit quietly. I'll keep pressing on the same topic. But you need to just keep going. Yeah, just yeah. we community, right? It annoys me when people sit quietly. I'm not sure to put on a show. Like if you want a show, there's comedians that you can go watch at the Star Casino. But this is, this is we preach preaching the word of God. And we're communicating with each other. And we, If you feel God say something to you, you, you're more than welcome to say, that's good. Or amen, or fantastic, or clap your hands, or you know, if let 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 God motivate you, amen. Amen. Yeah, amen means we agree with what you're saying. Let it actually means let it be so. And if someone speaks truth for us, it says we we find our amen in Him. Like we find our yes in Him. And when you hear a truth and that truth resonates in you, the response of the people is to say, let it be so, amen. And that's a, that's our declaration to the heavenly realms, that that word is true. We as the God, the word of truth comes and the people go, let that be so. We make we stamp that declaration, amen. That's why preachers always say that we're not we're not looking for or some some. Do, I don't know, but me personally, I'm not looking for a little response. Amen's not the end of a prayer. Amen. Yes, good. Yeah, I can hear you are all awake. It's we're trying to establish something. We've spoken about the, the spiritual realm before and how that how we interact with that realm. And part of our way of doing that is we declare on earth what is his will from heaven, what is his truth. We declare that into this realm. We go, you know, if we say, you know, that, that we speak about the cross, we speak about Jesus bringing freedom, and then there's people sitting in this room who are not free in one area of their life or the other. And as we, we, we might declare a truth, and somebody, somebody who feels it in them says, amen, it establishes in this church that truth, especially if it's for you. If, you, if you're if bound up by something or locked up by something or you, you're sick in your body and we say, by, by this, bar his straps we are healed and you're physically ill and you say out of your mouth, amen, what you're saying to your own body and to that sickness is, let that truth be so to me. Amen? That's got nothing to do with what I'm speaking about. We're still speaking about discipleship. Um, this is a big topic for me. I love discipleship. I love it because because we are supposed to be disciples. We're not all disciples. I'm, I'm not going to lie to you. Like, as, I, as I spoke last week, the, the, the letter that John writes or the, the, the account of the gospel that John writes is he says, he, he takes Jesus' words and he quotes them saying, if you love me, this is Jesus speaking, this is a red letter in the Bible. If you love me, you will obey me. Then, You are truly my disciples. That's a massive, like I I didn't know, understand that until a number of years ago. And it actually resonated with me. Something hit me when I looked at that and I thought, actually, we're not all disciples. We're only disciples when we obey. The next part of that, which is the part that we put onto our fridge magnets or we put them on our bumper stickers, the truth will set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. But the truth doesn't set you free unless you obey that truth. That's why it says, if you love me, you will obey me. Then you are truly my disciples. And the truth, you shall know the truth, sorry, and the truth shall set you free. That's the same sentence. We, don't, we can't separate that into three different teachings of Jesus. It's one continuous flow. If you love me, you will obey me. If you obey me then you actually are my disciples. If you are my disciples, then you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's how it works. So what is our key? Get people to be disciples. Why? Because that's the command Jesus gave us. Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations or all men. He didn't say, go and get all people saved. He's already provided salvation. When we preach the gospel, the way into that kingdom is through salvation. It's through the, 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 the faith, the belief in your heart, and the declaration through your mouth of that belief that Jesus died or he came, he died, he rose back to life, he ascended to heaven and he'll come again. That, that declaration brings you in. But, but as you come in, the process is that you are to become a disciple, a student of Jesus. And Jesus becomes your rabbi, your teacher, your Lord and your Savior. Amen? So part of this deal... There's a whole lot to it. And like I said, there's, a, there's like a lifetime teaching on, on, on being disciples. And that's the key. Because when you've got disciples, you've got students who are mimicking the teacher. And when you mimic the teacher, you're manifesting that person's life. That's how the, the Jews understood it. For me to follow my rabbi... For me to follow my teacher, for me to follow Jesus, is to allow his life, as I follow him, I, I, I don't follow him because I read the Bible. I don't follow him because I watch sermons. I don't follow him because I go to church services or conferences or because I stand up and worship. I, I follow him when I mimic his life. I mimic his attitude. I, I mimic his love. I mimic his mercy and his grace in my life. Then I'm actually modeling out who he is. Amen. I'm modeling who he is. When I model who he is, his kingdom begins to be made manifest. That's why we say that the body of Christ, the, the church, is the, the the church of Jesus is the embodiment of his kingdom on earth. Amen. We are the embodiment of God's kingdom on earth. If we don't manifest that kingdom, nothing manifests our kingdom. That's that's just the way God designed it, that's his plan. It's a good plan and it's a perfect plan. Whether we understand it or not, because he chose, he chose jars of clay. (laughs) We are breakable jars of clay. Full of fault. Full of issues. Full of complications. But he somehow chose us to embody his kingdom. That's a big, that's a big deal. That's a real big deal. How we communicate with each other, how we communicate with those around us, is going to be a, um, it's a word I'm looking for in a nice way. Uh, <laughs> how, we, how we communicate with people is a representation, is the easiest word, is a representation of who he is. It represents to people who he is. I'll show you some of that now. So the disciples come to Jesus. Go with me, if you can, in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 quickly. Um go to verse eight. Halfway through verse eight. No, actually from nine. Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples. Sorry, I'm just getting a bit warm here. Under this light. Whew. It's one of those lights that they you know when you in a restaurant and they cook the food, they put under that light and then it keeps it warm for a while. I think that's where they got that from. He says this when you pray, you must pray like this Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That part there alone, that part, hallowed be your name, is is vitally important in us understanding this thing. It's part of remember, he said this to his disciples. Hallowed simply means, if you just if in the simple term, it means to make holy. That's really what it means, simply. Hallowed to make holy. So our job is to make holy his name. Okay? But in this sense, because he's understanding, remember, it's not just a matter of us going when we pray, Jesus is standing there going, When you pray, you must say this prayer. Our Father, because that's what we did at school. We used to say the Lord's Prayer. That's not a I don't think he intended for us to mimic those words. We're not there to quote the words. The, everything about that prayer is a lifestyle. Remember, for every Jew, there's nothing that is just verbal. Nothing is just information for information's sake. Everything is to be lived out. There's an opportunity for you to, to model this out, right? So he goes, our Father, that's a relational thing, who is in heaven. That's where he is. That's his throne room, who is up there in your, on your throne, the ruler of all things. We Holy is your name. What we do, and and, and in holy, in holy being your name, your kingdom then comes, and your will is then done on earth, just as it is in your realm. That's what it means. Okay. So there's something to there's something to the word hallowed, which is key. All of these three things, hallowed be your name, is the same as your kingdom come, and your will be done. All of these express the desire that God's reputation will grow on earth, done through his people. That people, as God's reputation grows, his people will accept that he, God's reign over their life and live their lives to do his will. So for me, when I first got saved, my friends were getting saved. I wasn't keen on it, like at all. Like I was very anti, funny enough, very anti it, and and then I was at a barbecue with my, with my friends, and he one of the, I was asking them questions, not in a not in a I want to know way, but in a I'm going to catch you out type of way. So here I am asking questions to friends who didn't really know much because they'd only been saved for a couple months, and I'm trying to catch them out so that I'm going, ha, ah, you see, you don't know it all. Well, no, I, I don't know it all either, but at that time I was just arrogant. So this young guy comes up who actually had been safe for quite a while and he started to answer one or two questions just very politely and then one day, then he said to me at the end, why don't you come on Sunday in the evening? Maybe maybe you'll get an answer to some of your questions. I went, sat down there and God just, he just touched my heart and I gave my life the first time I'd stepped into a church, like I gave my life that night. But what when I think back what implicated me the most is not what that preacher was saying but what implicated what sorry what impacted me the most was how I saw my group of friends change that's what changed me that's what that's what made me believe what was happening was real cuz I knew those guys I knew them well and 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 we we were we were full of it man we were naughty we we were we were running riot we, we were rampant but I watched those guys transform in a, in a space of two to three months. And that's what impacted me. Why? Because they grabbed this thing and they were radical when they changed. These guys were radical believers for Jesus. They were, they were whenever they were with me, they, were, they, they, stopped, put it this way, they stopped swearing. They stopped taking drugs. They stopped getting drunk. They had a couple beers at a barbecue, but they weren't like smashed and sloshed. They they continued to accept me for who I was. They, they, they never tried to Bible bash me, but they just kept saying, man, Brad, you need, you need freedom. You need freedom. I watched a transformation in people's lives that impacted me to the point that when I went and sat in that building, it wasn't the preacher who primed the pot so I could be reaped. It was the lifestyle of my friends. None of them Bible bashed me. None of them said, you know, you're a sinner and you need to be saved. And then took me through the Ten Commandments to show me just how much of a sinner I actually really was. None of them did that. They continued just to love me, be my friends. We served together. They invited me to the barbecues. Although when I went there, you know, no one was smoking weed. We weren't taking drugs. We weren't doing coke. They were all sitting there enjoying themselves the way we always had. But something was different. These guys were enjoying themselves sober. <laughs> they were. And they were the same guys. But I could see they looked cleaner. Their eyes, they didn't have black bags under their eyes anymore. They weren't tired and worn down. They weren't speaking crassly. They weren't swearing and going mental and then us going out clubbing. We were just sitting together, enjoying ourselves, eating food, laughing like we were. And something of that gripped me. And then this preacher preaches, tells me about this Jesus who sets you free. And my hand went up and I said, I'll, 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 I'll commit to this. You know, you might not think that God's reputation, you know, we, we, we hold God's reputation. But we might think that, God, why, why, does God, why would God's reputation to him be important? But the idea of his reputation expanding throughout the world is a central theme to what we see in the Bible. You need to understand, in the day and age where God chooses this nation called Israel and, and, and he, he says, I will be your God. All these other nations will live under the rulership of other gods, which we see so clearly through the Old Testament. Most people don't read the Old Testament anymore. We find that, like, that's old, this is the new, this is the Jesus part. God has always been the same. God's purpose and plan has always been the same, right? We, we see all the other nations of the world living under the rulership, the governance, the, under the kingdoms of all these foreign gods, and... The, 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 the destruction that came. Babies being sacrificed on, idol, on, on, on altars to, to these foreign gods. Women prostitutes at the temples what, where men would go in there and enter into the act, which we spoke about when you enter into the act of sex. You know, you, you, you're know, binding yourself to, to that person and to a spiritual being. These women, would, with these temple prostitutes, would, would, would offer themselves up to these demonic gods. And they would take on these spirits. They would be possessed by spirits. And men would then come and and pay money to then also be bound and connected to these spirits by sleeping with these women. And you must picture this. like Imagine on the day that there's like 15, 16 men up there. And and they're going to sleep with one woman, one at a time. One after the other. And This is how these nations work. Taking your your baby up there and and allowing your baby to be put to death. Imagine that as a parent. So that possibly rain would come. Because the rain was withheld because that god wasn't appeased. Yeah, you know, some of these gods would 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 bring diseases upon people if they didn't bring their firstborn children and offer them up as sacrifices. This is this is what went on in these days. Like we we don't we don't think that that's real now because we live in a in, in a somewhat of a of a normal society. But in those days, that was completely normal. God then chooses this nation of Israel, who are no longer there to sacrifice humans but they'll sacrifice animals, which is completely different. Back in those days, it was humans. We look at, we look at, at God and we go, well, you know, you, 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 you made some calls that in our day and age now, down the line, we think is quite intense. Like, wow, that was pretty harsh, God. But in those days, it was groundbreaking freedom. That makes sense? So God calls this nation called Israel. And he asked them to be a representation. Israel means walks with God. That's us now. We are we are those who walk with God. We become the body of Christ, the Israel, those who walk with God. He so he calls us to be a representation. How we how we are in society, where we, we not I mean, look in our day and age, people aren't taking babies and sacrificing them, you know, at Harbor to some idol. It's not happening. Some places there are stuff going down, but in in the normal day, this isn't a normal event. But there are ways in which we represent Jesus when we stand on what we believe to be absolute freedom-bringing truth. Unwavering, as we saw with that young girl last week, how she never brought judgment on that that other girl that stayed in her apartment, Ashley. How she, she just loved her. She was just there for her. She gave her an ear when she, when she could see that she was affected by the breakup with her and her boyfriend. When she, was, when she was down, she just spent time allowing this girl to talk and then sharing what was in her heart with her. Fourteen days. And that girl went from not wanting to know Jesus to being completely born again. That's fantastic. That's you and me. As I spoke last week, we need to be somebody's fruitcake. We need to be that fruitcake, that people would come to, would listen to, or that we would be the ones who go and listen. So hallowing God's name isn't about us saying the prayer, hallowed be your name. But hallowing God's name is us bringing forward his reputation. It's actually a lifestyle choice. You can hallow God's name, which in the Bible is called, I'll tell you what it's called now. I wrote it down yet. It's called Kadush Hashem. Is the, is the Hebrew way, kadush Hashem. And that means to bring forward the reputation of, of God. It's to, it means to lift up God's name. There's another one which is called um, Hilil Hashem, which is to profane God's name. And how we live can either give honor, can hallow His name, or it can actually profane His name. One of the areas that God really, really has issues with is, and you see that in Deuteronomy, and especially in the way that, where He speaks of the Ten Commandments, is us profaning God's name. That's a, that's a big issue for God, to bring dis- disgrace on His name. So I'll show you what it is. To avoid sin or to obey a command, not from fear or ambition. So listen to that very carefully. To to avoid sin and to obey God's command not from fear of God and not from your own selfish ambition, but purely out of love for God is to sanctify His name publicly. That's from a rabbinical sage. I'll say it again because it's quite, for me it's quite profound. To avoid sin or to obey a command, not from fear or ambition, but purely out of love of God is to sanctify His name. That's quite, quite a big deal. Jesus sends out his disciples. Matthew twenty-eight, saying, "Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations." The overall idea is that God's reputation would expand through the earth as people came to know God and to know who God is. And the way He did that was by disciples living out just living out true, true love, living out freedom, living out obedience to God is the way. I find it sometimes hard when you, when you, when you. In Western societies, and you use the word obey, we struggle with that word, especially here. We don't like the word obey. Don't tell me, don't tell me what to do. Don't tell me to obey. Why must I obey? I'm free. I'm my own person. actual fact, you know, when you don't obey God, you're not free. I find people here have a very, like I come from a country where we, we I don't know what it's like now, but. We grew up in an environment where we were trained to go to, in school, we, we used to do military cadets every Friday. You dressed in military uniform and you you marched, shotguns, and did all this stuff, uh, priming you to go to the army because it was compulsory. Um, so when you left school, you had six-month military training, then you were sent out to the border to go and fight the war where... The Angolan rebels were pushing into Namibia, and we went and protected that border. South Africa fought on that war, uh, on that border, and pushed them back out of Namibia, back into Angola. The Soviet Union were backing the the uh, rebels. The other war was protecting the border of Mozambique because they had their own civil war. Protecting the border of Mozambique and and Zimbabwe. So, as a young 17, 18 year old, you were out of school, you're into the army, you were sent out six months later to the border. And you fought there until you know. I think it was two. Everyone had to do two years' service, and then if you either became permanent military, or you could go back and go and study something, and you were, you were released back to your normal life. But you would spend two years on that border fighting. So we grew up in a military culture. So we understood how to how to obey commands. We obeyed our teachers, or you get caned. You you, you obeyed your commanding officers, otherwise you were court-martialed. There was, we were we were taught to obey. But I come to I go to first world countries where where military. It's never been something compulsory. I watch how people respond in places like Australia to authority, and we do not respond well. So now you go and try to bring uh, obey God and obey God's word, and people just in their minds naturally reject it. Yeah. yeah so it's gone it's been gone for a long time it's in a sense been washed out of the culture same as south africa like south africa's got worse and worse because that fell away years ago like in 19 in the in the early 90s but when i was in school we were we were you know we would walk down the corridors in your military uniform and you'd salute teachers or students that had done courses where they had, had been given um, ranking so they'd have like corporals or you know, No, no one went but sort of too hard, but we, some of our teachers had been to the military. And if they were in the military and they had then received some sort of officer's um, ranking, they would also have that ranking on their uniform. Teachers would dress in military, in their military uniform at school on a Friday. You'd walk and you'd stop. Like we would walk down corridors and, and say good morning. On a normal day, you would stop. If teachers came, you'd stand to the side. Good morning, sir. Good morning, ma'am. Carry on walking. That's how you'd do it. Nowadays, you know, kids are just like unruly. Now we're trying to teach them to obey a being they cannot see. How difficult is that? But hopefully we get there. There's a story, there's a story about God's reputation that we pick up from a, a guy, but it was a story, sorry, it's a story told by a guy about a bloke, a Jewish sage whose name was Simeon. Simeon ben Shetta, who lived about 100 years before Jesus. His disciples brought, I'll show you, I'll read the story to you. His disciples brought the impoverished teacher a donkey from a wealthy Arab trader to ease their mentors' daily burdens of carrying his stuff when he walked to the town and back. So they bought him this donkey from an Arab trader, a wealthy Arab trader. And they said, Here you go, a teacher, you can have this donkey, so you can load the burdens on him, and the donkey will follow you when you go to the markets, put your food in in the baskets, and the donkey will come back, right? follow you back. But when they combed through the mane of the donkey, they found a jewel, a precious jewel that had fallen from one of the expensive loads that the Arab trader had. So it fell into the mane of this donkey. The disciples rejoiced at their teacher's newfound wealth. Because now they're going, that's fantastic. We've bought you a donkey. And also this gemstone that came with this donkey must have been hidden in the mane. So now he's got this newfound wealth. But Simeon refused it, ordering his disciples to find an Arab and re- to find that Arab and return the jewel back to him. When the disciples located the Arab trader, he was breathless at, the, at regaining his prize, declaring, "Blessed be the God of Simeon Ben Shatek." That is the simplicity of what it's like to hallow God's name. He could have taken that... I mean, I, I don't know if that's just a story that's told, but it, it says it's an account, right? When you and me do something, because we know it's the right thing to do, and it's the thing that God wants us to do, it's actually operating in obedience, because we know deep down in ourselves what's right and what's wrong, what God would want us to do and what He wouldn't. Amen? When we do that, that is what brings honor to God's name. That is what it looks like in the, in the Hebrew understanding to hallow his name people see it's like how i conduct myself in the business place that people would go that was right even though it may have hurt us when i give when i can use a contract to completely disarm a subcontractor to because we may have made some minor error which has happened to me this week. We, could, we made a minor error, but because of the contract and how it bound him to that contract, we were in our full rights to enforce that contractual obligation, and he would have been out of pocket, $24,000. And we would have been within our rights. He would never have gone through adjudication. In a court of law, it would never have stood up in his favor. So we had an opportunity where we were discussing, no, nope, contractually we need to enforce the contract, and I said, to the person that I was having this discussion with no morally we made this decision we approved this and we need to just we need to pay him the $24,000 we need to cover the money for the rectification but contractually I have a contract that can supersede my moral obligation that contract binds him to pay that 24 grand but my moral obligation then superseded that contract because that was the right thing to do now that there is what God's asking us to do. Is my project going to lose $24,000? Am I going to have to sit before the director and explain why that $24,000 was not recuperated from that subcontractor? Yes, absolutely. But at the end of the day, my answer is this. I will not watch a man sink his business for the sake of us having made a decision costing him now $24,000. We will pay that money. That's what it's called. Although it's unfortunately not my money, so it's my boss's. So I have to explain to him why the twenty-four thousand dollars is not going to be. I'm not going to. I'm not going to administer that contract to its full force against that man. I'd rather, take the rap over my own knuckles. That's what it's called to hallow God's name. That's what it looks like. It happens every single day. How you treat your husband, how you treat your wife, how you speak to one another, how parents talk to each other in front of their kids, can either show them what it's like to dishonor God's name because. Let me tell you, when your kids, they listen, and they watch, and they hear, they start listening to you speaking to your partner in a certain manner, and that's what they get into their psyche. That's how they feel a godly husband and godly wife should communicate with each other. That's profaning God's name to our children. You might go, well, that's a harsh word, Brad, profane, but that's what it means to profane God's name. To do something dishonest is to profane God's name. You know what I'm saying? To... To... To represent God incorrectly in front of a group of people is to profane God's name. God's called us to hallow his name. Disciples who obey, like it's easy for me to obey God. I don't have to go what's right and wrong and then stop and have a little prayer session to find out what the right way is. God, we have got an indwelling in Holy Spirit. We are one with God. The decision that we know to make is instantaneous. We all know that. I never have to sit down and go, well, what's right and wrong here? Let me have a think about it. I'll come back tomorrow and make a decision on what's right and wrong. If I were to sit down with that contract and go, what's right and wrong? I'll come back tomorrow and make a decision. Well, according to that contract, I'm right. But the decision was instantaneous. That's the right thing to do. There was no, the, moral, the moral compass is instantaneous. I know by the Spirit what I must do. You know what I mean? I don't need to ask for counsel. I don't need to talk to my director and my boss and ask him and explain the situation to him and then you know so that he can justify me making a decision to go with the contract. Because that's what he would want to do. Why? Because it's money for him. It's his money, not my money. But the decision is instant and easy because I know what the Holy Spirit's saying. Don't do it. You do it, you, you take, you take this on board as your responsibility. You, you be the one who bears the 24 grand on your shoulders. Not It's his money, my boss's money, but I'll bear the weight of that decision. If I get fired for it, I get fired, but I won't. I know he, he won't do that because my, my boss has got a, a, a very, very very good nature about him. It's the same as that word we spoke about last week, which is the word Shema, and it means to listen. Remember I spoke about that. I just briefly mentioned it before that, that we watched that video. Shema... And hallowing God's name is very similar to each other. Hallow God's name is to make his name holy. Shema is, is to listen with, with the implication of an action. Here, O Israel, when they ask him, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says this. This is the greatest commandment. And we will all go, love the Lord your God with all your heart. That's where we start the commandment. But Jesus doesn't start the, the commandment there. He says, what is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord alone. We translate it, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But it's actually the Lord our God, the Lord alone. Meaning, hear Israel, listen with an implicated action to the Lord your God, who is supreme, sovereign over all things. Now, I love the Lord. Now, remember, for Israel, for, for, for Jews... Loving is not an emotion. (laughs) Loving is an action. I love you, Lord, but I do something that's opposite to what he would ask me to do. For me to love a brother is to do something in order to serve that brother, to serve that sister. I love my church, but I'm not going to do anything to serve in the church. That's not love. That's not the kind of love that the Bible understands. That's not the kind of love that any, uh, that God, for God so loved the world that he gave us, you know, You know, he gave us an opportunity to try and make things right. Let's let's just think about it for a second. If that's how we, if God, if love was an emotion, that's what God would do. I love you enough to be patient with you and wait, so you can sort your stuff out. But if you don't, you're in trouble, because I've already ruled and governed. I've already made a rulership as to what's going to happen. God so loved the world that He did what? He gave. God loved the world that He gave. That's the, that's, that is what it means to listen to Shema. Hear, O Israel. Operate your life in obedience because you love God with all of your strength, all of your might, all of your soul, all of your mind. That means to love God with everything. I love God so much. And now listen, yeah, I'm not saying that I do this, but I love God so much. I love Him with all of my being that I will do, I will act on whatever he asked me to act on without questioning it, without any um, implication of, of trying to gain something back from him and without without any emotion of fear of who he is. I simply do it because I love God. That there is what it means to Shema. That's what it means to hallow God's name. That's what it means to be a disciple. It's not being a disciple is not a is not a mystic thing. We are mystical. We have we have the Holy Spirit in us. But but I want to de- what did I say? I want to de- demystify. That is sound, doesn't sound right. Yeah, demystify discipleship. Because we've thought, as I said last week, very br- very briefly as well, is that we look at discipleship as evangelists that go out in the street and pray for the sick. And preach on street corners. That—that's what a disciple is. Yes, it is. That's what disciples do. Do if that's your gifting. We look at discipleship as you know. I'm 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 disciple. I'm a disciple of Jesus because I do missions trips overseas. I'm a disciple of Jesus because I work full time in a ministry. Uh, I'm a disciple of Jesus because I lead a home group in the church. But then, what about all the people out there that you know? Your calling is not to be apostolic. You're not an evangelist by gifting. You, you're not a teacher, so you, you're not one of the people that stand up and preach. You're not someone who's leading a home group. So where do you fit into this thing of discipleship? How can you be a disciple? Because I often feel like a lot of people don't realize they can be disciples because they go, well, well I want to get involved more, but I don't, I don't know what to do. Well, there's no opportunity for me to serve. Can I, can I start a home group? Now we've got 15 already and there's you know, only 70 people, so we don't need another one. Um, well, can I teach and preach? Well, not really, because it's probably not one of your major giftings. So, so where do I, as average Joe, sorry, Joe, I didn't use that, it's just just a saying. Where do I, as average Joe, sit around and actually, why do I, I just come to church and I sit there, but I, I don't feel like I'm a disciple. But every day, let's talk about Joe, every day Joe goes to work, Joe is a person who is representing Jesus. Are you a team leader? You have a, you have like a team that you sort of oversee a little bit or something? No. Okay. So he did, but he's not anymore. But regardless whether you're in that position or you're not in that position, how he conducts himself on a phone to a person who's wanting to go on a cruise and Joe knows that he can manipulate them on that side to earn more money for himself as a commission. Sales, when you do that. Or Joe can do what's best for that person. When nobody else sees it, that's being a disciple. That's hallowing God's name. When you go and sit, if you're a team leader, how you communicate with your team, that's hallowing God's name. When you lead a ministry like Dave and Cherie, that's hallowing God's name. How you bring, you see, it's easy for us to look at someone like you guys or Ben and Jess or Mel and Edith who oversee and ministry in their life and it's easy to go that's discipleship but I'm just thinking of people like Mary I'm thinking of people like Sean I'm thinking of people like Josh how we conduct ourselves in the world around people I'm thinking about a single mum who stays at home and looks after her kids who's working two jobs how does she hello God how does she disciple well, she does it by how she communicates with her kids, how you watch her. She's a hardworking mother who goes and does her best to give her children the best life that they can have. When you walk into her environment and she's working and you see her at, at, the, at the cafe, because she, I don't know, for some reason, this ma- imaginative per- single is works in a cafe. So she's in the cafe. She's tired. She, she's, she's grumpy. She can be grumpy. But what she's doing is she's serving the customers with a pleasant heart. She's being generous towards them. She's being gentle. She's, she's, she's giving off joy towards them. She's allowing the peace of God to rest on her. That's hallowing God's name. To be a disciple of Jesus is every single day. It's not on a Sunday. It's not when you go on a missions trip. Now we become disciples. It's every single day. When I, the way I am with Naomi and the way I, I am with Rio is being a disciple. It's, it's, it is showing them the reputation of God. It's that I want to love my wife and i want to put her first above myself so that she experiences jesus in me i want to listen to my daughter and i want to help her through life and i want to give her good counsel i don't want to i don't want to deplete her and get angry with her because i want her to when she grows up to go that's uh, when when i look for a husband i want a husband to be a man that loves god and shows me who god is i don't want some guy that's going to speak down to me I don't want a guy that's going to talk badly to me. I don't want a guy that's going to abuse me. I want a guy that's going to be like my dad, who I know lived his life to show me what was the best way to live. That's what's being a disciple. Amen? Isaiah 11 verse 9 says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the earth. how's that? That's an Old Testament scripture of what it is to be a disciple. The earth will be filled with the knowledge, the understanding, the reputation of God as the, just as the waters cover the earth. How is that done? Disciples. Zechariah 14 verse 9 speaks about the kingdom fully coming when God is worshipped. Do you want to read that scripture then? In closing, if that's all right, is this helpful for anyone? What did I say, Zechariah? Behold, the day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken and the houses plundered. And the woman, geez, that's pretty intense, and the woman raped. Half, this is not God going to do it. Eh? This is God just God is telling Israel what's going to happen. Half of the city shall go down. Sorry, I'd lost my place there. Half of the city shall go, go out into exile, but the rest of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go out, and he will fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall move northwards. And the other half southwards, and ye shall sorry, and you shall flee to the valley of my mountains, for the valley of the mountains shall reach to Azel, and you shall flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Azusa, king of Judah. Uzzah, sorry, the king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. On that day there shall be no light, cold, or frost, and there shall be a unique day which is known to the Lord. Neither day nor night, but at evening time there shall be light. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea, and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. And on that day, the Lord will be one, and his name shall be one the way to read so just that one verse there we've translated it goes and his name one but it's actually translated this and the lord will be king over the earth on that day the lord will be one and his name hallowed that's how it's read that's how it's meant to be written that's how it's in the in the in the hebrew understanding is that on that day on which day and on the on the day of the lord when is this is what we speak about the day of the lord friends is now. <laughs> it's really that simple. The day of the Lord is now. Jesus has already been raised back to life again, and a new era begun on that day. On the day that Jesus died, a new era began. We live right now in the day of the Lord. His kingdom has come. It is coming, and it will continue to come, but it has come. When Jesus set foot onto this earth, the kingdom of heaven manifested on this earth. Jesus did the ultimate in in hallowing God's name where he said, I have made, in John 17, 26, he said, I, Jesus, I have made your name known, Father. I have made your name hallowed. And he then sends us to do the same thing. Friends, it's quite simple. Become a disciple of Jesus. Make a decision to become a disciple. Everyone in this room has made a decision to become a believer. We've made a decision to enter into new life. But that's the beginning of the journey. The day you got saved is the beginning of the journey. We we are here for a purpose. We are here to be students of Jesus so that his reputation is manifested into every area of life, every area, starting now. Starting with your spouse, starting with your best friend, starting with your kids, starting with your local church, starting with your business place. And it goes on and on into every area. How you are, and I'm guilty of this, when you're standing in the Woolworths line and the young person is taking forever to serve the person in front of you, am I going to hello God's name or am I I going to profane His name with my impatience? You know what I mean? When they say to you, Hello, how's your day been? What you been up to? For a South African, that's offensive. Leave me alone. I don't want to tell you how my day is. In actual fact, you don't care. You've been taught to say that. What have you been up to? Listen here, little 17-year-old girl. I'm 41 years old and you ask me, what have I been up to? you see what I'm trying to say? But I've got to hold back on that. And I've got to, and I've got to go, actually, do I have an opportunity here to just, just to, to hello God's name? It's been good, how's your day been? Often I don't do that. I'm not, I wanna honestly tell you, I, I'm, a, I'm quite reserved. In South Africa you go buy bread and milk from the shop and this is how it goes, how are you going? Yeah, good man, yeah, yeah. $1.25, yeah, Thank you very much. That's, that's an interaction in South Africa. But here for some reason, everybody's, you know, been trained to be friendly, customer service. But I know that they're being fake, but what happens if they are being fake but then we not? They've been, they're telling, they, they're doing their thing. What if she said to me, how's your day been? It's been really terrible. Oh, that's good. What are you up to for the rest of the day? I'm going to go jump on the side of a bridge. Okay, now I hope you have a great day. Because that's probably what's going on in their mind. But I can supersede that. Why? Because I have the spirit in me. I'm a disciple. She's going, oh, how's your day? My day is good. How's your day been? When did you start your day? What are you going to be up to this evening? And possibly, just maybe, we change somebody else's day. She, she's there to work and she doesn't really want it because it's Sunday. Her friends are all at the beach. And guess what? We now she comes with some pre-written things she's got to say, and we counter it with an actual heart. I actually do care about you. I've actually got it. I want to actually speak to you. I actually want to take the time to give you, little shop clerk, the time of day more than it is that you actually giving me back. You got you trying to give me service. I'm actually going to give you greater service. You see what I'm trying to say? Yes. Amen. I like it.